Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. I bet you can find that. Romans chapter 1. And today we will begin our reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, and we will begin our reading in verse 18. I shared with my brothers during the prayer time this morning that I have been set free from the tyranny of the urgent. So I don't know when we'll finish this sermon, but we will. If the Lord tarries his coming. If he does it, I doubt you're going to care very much about hearing it all. But I would say that we're going to take our time. And I am going to spend most of the time this morning just reading the text. Okay? So I'll go ahead and let you know. I'm going to read a verse and we're going to talk about some things. And then I'm going to try to do a clear reading of the text and highlight some things. So um, we'll be doing that for the most of the message this morning. I want to go back to at least three verses. I want us to look at Romans chapter 1 verse 15. We read these already. We spent four weeks preaching on 16 and 17 but Paul says, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who is believing. Remember that, present active participle, who is believing to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by his faith. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. It starts with faith and it ends with faith. And I know you're thinking, well, Pastor, you've already covered some of that. Well, we want to make sure we make the connection. He has talked about what it means to be saved. He's talked about what that dynamic is. What, what is it that we're saved from? What does it mean to be born again? And he's talked about how that when we do trust in Christ, we receive his righteousness as a gift of grace for our own sorry, worthless righteousness and he gives us that so that we can stand blamelessly before him one day. And then we get to verse 18. And I know every one of you are familiar with this passage. It's uh, that passage, you know, where it talks about things like reprobate minds and futile thinking and homosexuality and all of that. This is that passage, and we are about to delve off into all of this. But 
I want to introduce you to a word called prolegomena. If you've taken some theology classes with us here, you probably have heard of it already. Prolegomena means first word. What is the first word that we need to say before we move on, before we get any further down the road, we need to make a statement. It's sort of like the question we ask in our recent messages about what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word God? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you think about when you hear the word God? My nephew recently sent me a text and said, I'm going to be teaching on what is or who is God. Can, can you kind of help me? And so I told him, I, I talked to him and I texted him back and I talked about how God is the, he is self-sufficient. He is the creator of all. He is eternal and he has transcended from his creation. He is not dependent upon this at all. He didn't come from anywhere. He is not going anywhere. No one made him. He made everything. And I talked about all of those eternal qualities of God. And then he said, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching elementary school children. I said, well, you left that out. Good luck with that. But I think what comes to mind, our prolegomena, the first word, the first thoughts that come to our mind. I want us to take a look at a statement or a couple of statements before we even start this passage. A prolegomena is that which must be said at the outset. And that's what we're about to do. If we outline this passage and the few chapters ahead of us, and I hope that we get to look at all of them uh, in, in the future, because that's, that's the plan right now. I just feel led to spend some time here in these verses. But if you look at Romans chapter 118, which we'll read in a moment, through verse 32, that's through the end of chapter 1, Paul is teaching us, what it's like for the Gentiles to be without God. What happened to the Gentiles when they did not know God? Or when they knew God but did not worship Him as God? And then in Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 8, he teaches us what it's like for the Jews when they have their own ideas about God, but so many of their ideas are wrong. So there's only Jews and Gentiles in the world. He covers both groups here. He says, I want you to know what it is like for people that do not have a relationship with God. If you're outside of God, if you've not experienced the gospel, this is who you are. Now, I want you to understand something. This may be the most stark statement I'll make through this whole series on these verses. We've always thought it seems, kind of, that these verses, 18 through the end of the chapter, that talks about the reprobate and all of that, we, we've almost allocated that to, that, that's a group of people out there somewhere that, boy, they, <laughs> oh, man, they're not just lost. They're like lost on steroids. 
And they do crazy things. Lord, have mercy. The things that they, this passage talks about, the reprobate mind and, and all of that. And we'll discuss that uh, at length later. But, but all of those things, that we've, we've kind of looked at these verses as if they deal with a group of what we might call super sinners. They're just really way out there. And I know. Uh, a lot of times we'll quote these passages when one of these particular sins comes up. Well, you know what God says about those people. Those people, yeah, those reprobates, you know, man, alive. Those homosexuals and all of those. And, and, and you know what they're, well, Lord, boy, what God says about them, man, just makes your skin crawl. Well, I kind of got some enlightenment for us. These verses deal with all of us because Paul says if you are a Gentile and you want to know why the wheels came off and why you need the gospel, he said, here's why. This is what happened. This is why your lives fell apart. And he's talking to all of us and saying, you did these things. Now, there may be some sins in here that you say, well, I've never done that. Just hang on till he gets to the end. Because when we read the last few verses, he'll give us a list of things. And on that list will be things, not just homosexuality, but being disobedient to parents. Being a gossip. That doesn't sound like some kind of hyper triple X sin that, that's an unmentionable. No, he says it, 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 all of you are guilty. He said these verses 18 through 32, this is what happened in the Gentile world because they fell to honor God. We'll take a serious look at these. And then in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Verse 8, he'll talk to the Jews. We'll get to that. But then in verse 9 of chapter 3, after that, I want to read this verse. Verse 9 and 10 is his summary. He's talked about the Gentiles. Then he talked about the Jews. And now this is what he says in Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we Jews better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. And let's reach and grab one more verse and pull it into the proper context. We've all quoted this verse. Now I hope it makes more sense to you than ever in your life. Because in verse 23 of chapter 3, we all know the verse, For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. So what are we saying? We're saying, let's don't go through these verses and have come to mind every little bit something you saw on television or read in the paper about some depraved, Filthy, unmentionable, nameless, and shameless activity. No, let's look at ourselves. Because that's exactly who Paul is talking about. We do live in a tough time. 
I, I, years ago, boy, you could fill up a sermon just with illustrations because we'd have things that would happen that would just shock people. They just couldn't believe it. And, 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 and it just would blow their mind. Boy, we're hard to shock nowadays, are we not? This week, I, I, I usually get up every morning and I'll read the New York Post or at least the headlines and if something catches me, I'll go to the article. I have several things like that. Uh, that I read this week, uh, I think Thursday maybe, but in the New York Post, it had an article about a city in North Carolina. And I thought, oh boy, if we've made the post, what have we done now? Well, in the New York Post, there was an article about a LGBTQ celebration event in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it showed a picture of a very scantily clad, overweight lady. I'm trying to draw the picture for you. She did have on a bikini, but she looked like a busted can of biscuits, okay? So I'm just trying to, are you with me? <laughs> she was on the stripper's pole and she had a toddler between her and the pole, and the LGBTQ celebration was all about bringing our children into this new way of thinking about sexuality. Yeah, we live in the nameless and shameless world. There is no shame. It, it's, it, it's incredible. So let's begin. And, and we're going to stop after this verse. You stay with me. We're going to do a reading of the text. And I hope we learn that when you do a reading of the text, a real reading of the text, you don't just say the words. Let's take a look at just verse 18 for a second. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness he uses twice in that one verse. A couple of words that are worth mentioning. When he says, for the wrath of God is revealed, that word is orge. We talked about it in our previous sermon series. There's two words for anger in the Greek. One is thumos and one is orge. Thumos is that flash in the pan, quick anger. That's where you are normal one minute, just casually talking, and the next minute uh, you are screaming and yelling and in a bad fight. And, and, and a lot of people... <laughs> Uh, tell me that have that problem, that have to deal with that quick flash of anger. They'll, they'll excuse it sometime to me by saying, well, I get mad and I really go off, but then I'm over it just as fast as, as, it, as it started. Like I'm supposed to say, well, that's, that's, that's good. When I shot my hand off, that was over pretty fast. But I'm on my second year now living without a hand. <laughs> But it happened. It was over as soon as it started. 
I can tell you, you don't know the damage you might do sometimes while you're having one of those little fits of yours. But that is thumos. We get our word thermometer from it. It means heat. It means you just blow up. The other word for anger is orge, and that is the more passive, aggressive, calculated type of anger. That's where uh, you don't say anything, perhaps, but boy, you've got a memory like an elephant, and, and you don't forget. And when the time is right, and when, boy, you know it's going to hit the most nerves and the deepest feelings, man, you let her rip. And you might be just as calm as can be. When it happened, you were like, oh, no, no, oh, oh, no, 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 that's fine. I mean, if that's what the, I mean, if that's what the elders decided, I mean, that, that's all right with me. You guys, I, I mean, I know y'all prayed about it and all that. Yeah. We can tell. You can't hide it. We know one day it's coming back to haunt us. Passive, aggressive anger. It is also a word for wrath, and it is a word that is used here. The point I'm trying to make is, is when God's wrath is revealed, this anger of God was not God losing His cool. It was contemplated. He watched what went on on this earth. He watched people to whom he had revealed himself through the things that were made. All of his invisible attributes, he will tell us, they were made known to all of them. And I watched them treat me like I was some kind of spectacle. And then instead of worshiping me, they worshiped what I created. He said, no, I saw that. That's the wrath of God. He said it's revealed. This is apocalypto. We get our word apocalypse from it. The word apocalypse uh, simply means a revealing. Uh, apo means from. It's a preposition. Calypso means covering. And so the revelation is called the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. So this word means not some kind of just a dreaded day. No, it means something is being revealed. We talk about, boy, the apocalypse is coming. It's probably not a good word for that. You might mean some bad times are coming, but sometimes it can have a positive connotation. It means God is revealing something. It just so happens that this is not one of those occasions. His wrath is being revealed. People hadn't seen that, but he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be showing it to you. And he says, I'm, I'm, it's because this is all happening because of men who suppress the truth. The word for suppress means to hold down or to restrain. It's like a suppressor on a gun. It doesn't totally silence it, but it might make it more bearable. And that's what people have done with the truth, especially among what we call progressive Christians and liberal Christians. Uh, it is not like they just outright denied the truth, but, but it's like, well, we just want to suppress it. We, it, it. It shouldn't be so stark. It shouldn't be so loud. It should not be so abrasive. It should not be so offensive. We need to tone it down a little bit. God says that is exactly why I am up to here with you Gentiles because you've taken my truth and you didn't outright deny it. 
but you tried to make it user-friendly, a kinder, gentler gospel, a more inclusive sort of salvation. I'm afraid those words are important. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident with them. It's made manifest in them. For God made it evident to them. Do, do you realize that every culture in the world that we've ever discovered have an understanding of right and wrong? I, I, I know there's a lot of argument about this nowadays, but, but Christian apologists, uh, we need to stand up and, and, and make make this point very, very clear. Human beings within themselves have a God-given understanding of right and wrong. And I don't care if you lived on uh, Centennial Island uh, south of India and you eat your neighbors. Okay? They have a right way of eating your neighbor and a wrong way of eating your neighbor. Now, we might have a whole different set of values. We don't eat our neighbors. But even if part of your culture is to do something that's really weird, those people that can't read and write a word that may not even have a written language at all, and many in our world do not have a written language, they have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. That was put in human beings by God himself. Now, the evolutionists like to say, no, 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 no. That, that whole idea about right and wrong, it's just something that has evolved over time. They're beginning to let go of that a little bit, though, and I'll tell you why. If it is something that begun to evolve in early man, as they say, by now we ought to be some stem-winding fine people. But we didn't get better with time, did we? We've gotten worse. It's devolved. It's devolved. It's amazing. We should be nearly perfect by now. It isn't something that God put in the human race. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, now they might not have had a Bible, they might not have taken graduate level theology classes, He's not holding them accountable for that. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They didn't take what they knew, no matter how small it was or primitive it might have been. They did not take what they knew and, and give thanks to God, but they became futile. They became empty in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Let me make another very important statement. They were not condemned for what they didn't know. 
they were condemned for what they did know. And the way they took what they did know and failed to honor God with it. Well, that's a big point in our world today. We get all kind of ideas about God. And I don't believe God with this set or the other. I, I'm just telling you, be careful that you don't create Him in your image. Just because you might see it differently. Remember, I, I hate to have to say this, but I will at least once. We are not God. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God in, for an image in the form of corruptible man. Did you notice the first idol? He's going to give us a little list here. But what was the first idol that we started to worship? Ourselves. It was ourselves. Boy, self-worship today is off the chart. Exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That uh, word, we get our word snake from that, but reptile might be a word, or it is a, actually the Greek word for reptile. We, we took God who was incorruptible and eternal and decided to turn him into something more manageable. We like being able to touch things and see things and, 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 and know that God, whatever the name is, is really here because his statue is in the living room. If you go to places like India, and I have, you will find in Hinduism that the visible presence of the God is so important. How do we know God's there? Because we made him and sent him there. That's how we know God is there. He said people couldn't deal with the fact that I am not flesh and I am not blood. I'm not made of stone. I'm not made of wood. People could not deal with with that so they took me an incorruptible God one that never decays and turned me into an artifact so I went from being able to hold them in my hand to they can now hold me in theirs because that's what they wanted more man therefore big word Verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. Now, what we're about to read happened because we knew God as Gentiles and we didn't honor him. He said, this is what happened. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You keep seeing this word exchanged. We didn't get rid of it. We just traded it for something else. The image of God, we got something more user-friendly. We took the truth of God that was too hard for us. And we exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You'll have to forgive him once in a while. He just breaks into worship like that. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Here we go, folks. 
For their women exchange a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in verse 27, and in the same way also, men abandon the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men. I want to pause here. I hope this is... I hope this is not distracting, stopping, but we have to. We're not ready to preach the passage yet. We've got to get what the meaning of the passage is. What God intends for us to hear. In our world today, and I hate to say it, but especially among, again, the progressive Christians, the more liberal Christians, oh, they have websites called Woke Christians. You you remember the first woke person in the Bible, right? We talked about her. Her name was Eve. Remember? The serpent told her, your eyes will be open. Oh, yeah. Hey, things. See, you're not woke, sister. See, I'm I'm talking ghetto now. You're not woke. Your eyes will be open if you eat of this fruit. God's God's keeping things from you. Hey, there's a lot you just don't understand about God. She's the first woke human on the planet. Pretty incredible. The woke Christians, the progressive Christians, the more liberal Christians tell us that this passage does not condemn homosexuality. And I know you've got to be thinking, well, well, what else could it be saying? I know we just read it, right? Well, let me tell you why they say that, and then I'm going to tell you why they're wrong. They say that homosexuals being with other homosexuals was perfectly okay. They say that what happened here was when heterosexual men and women decided to get with the same sex even though they weren't homosexual. And they say that's where the deviance comes in. That's where the sin and the, uh, the reprobate mind comes from. That's where the problem lies. It's not homosexuals with homosexuals is perfectly normal and okay, they say, in the sight of God. Men with men, women with women. But it was when the heterosexuals crossed over, then that is a problem. Now, I could tell you why I think that's wrong, and that and about... I don't know, $12 will get you a small cup of coffee at Starbucks. I had rather just let the Scripture speak for itself. Number one, the term that Paul uses here, you can't translate the sin out of it. In verse 26, he says that the women exchanged that which was natural. Ten para or tan para pushin is the word. And para pushin is a word that means away from that which is natural. And if you go back and you study in the Greek history, not just in the Bible, we know in the Bible that it means to deviate from that which is normal and natural. But even if you go back and you read the historians like Philo and Plutarch, 
and Josephus, they will all use this identical same term to talk about things that are a deviation from that which is normal. And that's the term Paul uses word for word. Number two, in verse 27, it says the men burned in their lust. Et kaleo, good Lord. That is the only time this word ever occurs in the New Testament, and it means to be set ablaze. It says men were set ablaze. They were on fire. They were so full of lust for each other. It helps me to understand a little bit about the militant uh, side of the homosexual community nowadays and, 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 and how it's like we will fight and die for the freedom to do whatever it is we want to do. When you are set on fire with lust, when you are blazing with it, you're apt to do these things. And the problem is Heterosexuals aren't set on fire with attraction for people of the same sex. Number three, this is the judgment of God. This can't be normal. Because in verse 26, God says all of this crazy sexual deviance he says, it is for a reason. For this reason. It is a direct judgment against Gentiles for knowing God and failing to honor Him as God. That is not God just mentioning, well, you know, men got with women and, or men and, and women got with women and it was all cool and then some come in and kind of cross it up. No, He says, no. This whole business of the homosexual lifestyle is part of the judgment of God because when we knew God, we failed to worship Him and recognize Him as God. Man, I'm telling you, we live in a world where we think we are God. So many people in our world, they call it creating new orders. It's a new day. And I want to tell you something. They're waiting on me to wake up. Honestly. They're waiting on your pastor to finally, to finally get it. He's just an, unold, an old, uneducated dolt from South Carolina. What could he possibly know? I like Sometimes my old southern brogue, and I'm exaggerating it. Now, it'll come in handy. I love it when Jehovah's Witnesses come to the house. That's when I'm Gomer Pyle made over. And then when I get them to where they can't leave, and we start talking about the first chapter of John, and they start spouting off way more Greek than they got any business trying to handle. Old Goma <laughs> takes over. I love telling them the truth. Uh, here, here's a little hint for you. If, you do, if they do come knock and talk to the one at the bottom of the steps, they hate that. 
The one at the top of the steps is more versed in, in the cult. The one at the bottom steps is in training. Go straight for that one. You'll have the advantage. But I am saying to you, we, we think we're God. We can do whatever we want to. We live in an age called moral relativism. I, I know that's a term we've talked about here a lot. If you've never heard it, you need to learn what it means because, boy, we have it nowadays. It means whatever is right for you might not be right for me. And you can have your truth and I can have mine. I see people who say things. I know people who say things that claim to be Christians that talks about how wonderful and freeing it was for them to finally discover their truth. You can't have your truth and me have mine. Truth is objective. It's either true or it's not. I remember one time riding down the road, and I remember exactly where I was. But I pulled alongside this car. It was a, a, like a four-lane highway there, and this little car had a gal driving it, and on the back had a bumper sticker said, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. See, that's one of the things the pro-abortion people like to say. Man, I wanted to follow her till she stopped at a store or something. And tell her, ask her where she got that. That I've been looking for a bumper sticker myself. That I am pro-slavery and I want one that says, if you don't like slavery, don't own any. And just see if she would say, well, here, let me give you this number. Maybe they'll make you one. Hopefully she would realize, that, no, you can't do that. Slavery's wrong. Who says? Who says? Either God says it's right or it's not right. Either God says it's wrong or it's not wrong. You see, we have to have an objective standard. Otherwise, we just have opinions. You can say, I don't like what the Nazis did. But unless you're going by an objective standard of right and wrong, you can never look at the Nazis and say what they did was wrong. Because it's a free-for-all. They had their truth, did they not? They believed they were making Germany a great nation. And I'm sure Hitler died brokenhearted that the poor infidels wouldn't listen to him. I can tell you, we live in that kind of world. It's impossible to live in that kind of world. You can't have that kind of thinking. It won't work. Verse 27, And in the same way also the men abandoned natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. One of the things that you have to remember about sin, God doesn't have to punish you for it. The wages of sin itself are pretty high last time I read them. Sin brings its own punishment. You look at our world today, friend. I'm 62 years old. I'm reading on a 63-year-old level, though. I've never seen our world lack leadership 
an understanding of truth. I've never seen our world in a more wretched, lost, uncontrollable condition than what we are seeing now. It is absolutely incredible. It says they did not see fit in verse 28 to acknowledge God any longer, and God gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper. Adokimos is the word in the Greek. Doesn't matter if you remember that. But that is the word that we translate depraved or reprobate. Let's, let's use the word reprobate. Probate means value. If you go to a probate court, looking for my man over there, there's something of value and it has to be settled, okay? That's where you go to find out that he gave everything to your sister. All right, and then you either experience thumos or orge, or maybe both at the same time. <laughs> but probate means value. Reprobate, reprobate means to go back from something of value and decline, fall away from something that's worthwhile and move towards something that is worthless. That's the translation from the Latin of the root word for reprobate. Dokimos is a word for value. Adokimos, that little a negates it. Like theist is someone who believes in God. Atheist is someone who doesn't. This is ah. Dokimas. They don't have any value in their mind. Their minds are worthless. The, the thoughts that they have just are incredible. I mean, we have pedophiles nowadays, and, and it's hard for us to wrap our mind around how in the world could somebody even think like that? They're not thinking. Their mind is shot. Their mind is has left anything of value. They don't have any sense of value. These people, do, do you know the knockout club is now coming back? I have to be careful. You can tell the arm's getting better though, right? But they, the knockout club still has me on injured reserve. But the knockout club I heard this week is back where you just slip up behind somebody in one of our big cities and you just cold cock them. And you leave them laying on the sidewalk. You don't know them, don't have to know them, doesn't matter. You get points for hurting somebody you never met in your life. You might say, I would too. How in the world could you do that? What in the world are you thinking? They're not thinking. Their mind is a load of sinful mush. And all they know is what they do from moment to moment. That's the only place they live. Oh, man. And then he goes on to say, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now, notice the list, and probably in a few weeks we'll get to this. Wickedness, greed, evil, 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He says there are gossips. Remember that. He's not just talking about homosexuals. This is not just the super deviant, no. They're gossips. They're slanderers, haters of God, insolent. Tell me what to do. Arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Sometimes you get bored with just the run of the mill robbing a convenience store. Why don't we take 20 of us and beat the glass out of a jewelry store? And we'll just leave like that. Or why don't we just shoot somebody and not even take anything? We're bored. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids, that made the list. Without understanding. They don't have it. Untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know what God has said about right and wrong, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but I want you to really notice this last statement. This is a great warning for the liberal woke Christians in the world, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I know people, and you do too, it's like a drug to feel like I'm inclusive. What that preacher said today, I'm telling you, Boy, I'm glad I don't go to that church all the time. I'd have to set him straight. Well, you wouldn't be the first. But I'm, I'm just saying to you, this is what God's Word has to say. Forget about this preacher. When you stand before God, I won't be anywhere around, friend. I got my own date with him. So make sure you un understand that. But... There are people that it's like a drug to be able to say, well, I have homosexual friends, and I, 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 I do too. And, and I think they're okay, they're just fine people. And I don't see one thing wrong with them loving each other the way they do. I also have some friends that are adulterers. They acted on a tendency, even though they were married to one person. They acted on a tendency they were born with. Do you know that? These guys that run around with somebody else's wife, they were born with that tendency. Do you know that? They didn't wake up one day and decide, I like girls. They've lived that way all their life. It's natural. Would you accept that? How many of you ladies don't raise your hand? I'm afraid you'll raise something else. But what if your husband looked at you and said, it's just natural, honey. I was born like this. I have this tendency in my life. And, and I just acted on it. I bet your wife would go, oh. Well, I didn't realize that. I know what mine would say. I've taught her how to shoot guns. And she'd say, well, this gun's about to do something really natural for it. 
Except I'm a better aim than you were. Just natural. I, I don't care if it is natural. Boy, I want to tell you something. I know I'm misunderstood on this probably more than any other issue. I read testimonies quite often. Everyone I can find. By, and, and it's mostly all men. But men who are homosexual. And they love Jesus with all their heart. They never marry. And they fight the temptation every day. But they don't act on it. You ought to listen to some of their testimonies. They love the Lord. And they say that they actually miss being able to have a family, but they know they never will. They know that they have a tendency in them that if they act on it, it will destroy their lives. And it will. And they live with that temptation. But they don't act on it. We don't get to act on every temptation we have, friend. Remember that. Let's close. If you think Paul's just some hysterical moralist, let me just give you a few quotes as we close today that'll help you to see he was not exaggerating the situation around him. And it's so amazing that our situation today, 2,000 plus years later, is so much like it. As a matter of fact, I would love to read some secular people to you. I don't know how much history you study. I hope a lot. But Seneca lived in about A.D. 60. And this is how he described the world around the Apostle Paul at that time. He said, it is an age that is stricken with the agitation of a soul no longer master of itself. Man, how much clearer could you be? The soul is no longer master of itself. It follows its desire. It does whatever it wants to do, and it, doesn't, it, it cannot control itself anymore. And, and remember, God said they thought themselves to be wise, but they were fools. People who can't control themselves so many times feel like, I'm finally doing what I want to do. No, you may be doing exactly what your depraved nature wants you to do. You, we all remember when we were about 14 or 15 and we couldn't wait till we got old enough to do whatever we wanted to do. And some of those things, I know some of you, you've given testimony to it. When you finally got to do whatever it is you wanted to do, you spent the next 20 years trying to stop doing it. Well, I know. We think crazy things. I told you, my brother joined the Navy because he was tired of being told what to do. Propertus, or Propeterus, the poet in 40 B.C. said this, I see Rome, proud Rome, perishing the victim of her own prosperity. Man, nobody's going to need to attack America. I don't know why China and Russia waste money on atomic bombs. 
just stay out of our way. We're killing ourselves. We owe so much money, I promise you. There's no one ever going to see the day that this country is out of debt. And we're pouring gas on the fire. Virgil wrote in 70 B.C., right and wrong are confounded. Can't tell the difference in the two. Uvino, a satirist writer, he said it was an age of moral suicide. And Tacitus said in A.D. 100, it was an age so weary of ordinary things that it was avid for new sensations. Crime became the only antidote to boredom. Man. Until, as said, the greater the infamy, the wilder the delight. Sensational. And then last of all, I'll tell you what Livy said. He said Rome could neither bear its ills nor the remedies that might have cured them. You know, there are a few rare diseases that, boy, they pretty much spell death. When the cure for whatever you have is worse than what you have, if your body won't tolerate the cure for the disease that has already infected you, your days are numbered. Now, what I said today from this passage, what God said today from this passage, forget about me. What God said from this passage today, this would be the start for curing America. Realizing we have these kinds of issues and that we need help from God. But you and I both know this old world's not going to tolerate what was said here today. I think probably, you know, we put our sermons on Facebook, and I'm not trying to get kicked off of there, but I think our days are numbered. If they hear this sermon today, we'll be gone. Because... The cure for what ails this world. They had rather tolerate the sickness than to deal with what was said here today. Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us, God, where we have known You and known about You. And Lord, we know so much. God, we are not some primitive land somewhere without a written language, Lord. We have Bibles everywhere, churches everywhere. God, forgive us where we have known so much about You, and yet, instead of being worshipers, God, we became philosophers. We decided ourselves what was right and wrong, and we just decided that that was best. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not honored You. Lord, maybe it's not some graven image in the house that, hidden under the bed that we're worshiping. Maybe it's just our, our opinion. 
Maybe it's just our, our own personal ideas that are counter to what you say, but we submit to those and not to you. Lord, forgive us. And help us, Lord, as Christians to stop looking at passages like this as if there is a special group of those that sinned and came short of your glory. Lord, we all have. And we all need your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.